Hey, everybody. This is Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church. Today's program is pre-recorded, um, so we won't get to your questions live, but we invite you to text them in anytime. You can text the questions in you have about God, Christianity, the Bible, comparative religions, different belief systems, following Jesus in the world today, spirituality, how it all intersects, the big questions, the little questions, the crazy questions, the far out questions, the completely hypothetical questions, the absolute practical questions, the theologically dense questions, and the ones that seem more surface. We welcome them here, 815-314-0363. Again, that's 815-314-0363. Even though we're not taking them live in the studio today, we have got such an inbox of questions stacked up because you guys have been texting them in. And I got to tell you, Steve, Andrew, Kent, incredible questions that we have lined up in the gate here today. I mean, I swear, I think we got like 28 episodes ahead of us of content to get through, even if we were doing like speed runs. Boom. We're just going to hit them, right? We'll be doing this in eternity. We will be doing this in eternity. We're going to have this table set up in heaven, aren't we? You know, it'll be made yeah. of gold. The table, you know? yeah, because it's yeah. in heaven. I don't know. I don't... See, I'm with you, Andrew. Yeah, I know where you're going. Gold. A white, a white, a white gold. Yeah, white gold. Like Can we go gold. white gold? <laughs> Platinum gold. Yeah. Is it still my studio? I... <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds interesting yeah. to me. Yeah. You know, we we really need to look up like every single Bible passage with twenty one six. And just kind of see what they say. I'll do that. And we're not going to let you know which one that this station is in reference to. And we're going to have maybe a contest here of going, you know, is it Jeremiah 21.6? Isaiah 21.6? Psalm 21.6? I'm going to look up Psalm 21.6 right now. That's the one about the fawns. All bald people go to hell. (laughs) 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 All right. You ready for Psalm 21.6? Yes. Surely you have granted him unending blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. Yeah, that's not a bad one there, Ken. That's we, what we do you know, for we're you. Gonna right here. We're going to roll. We do start off every show with a 21-6 verse. We, I think we yeah. should. Um, here's shtick. Isaiah 21-6. This is what the Lord says to me. Go, post a lookout and have him report back what he sees. Again, you know, you could work with that. <laughs> he's, he's seen some weird things. <laughs> he has. Yeah. Is that why there's a telescope by the window there? That's so you right. guys... That's th- right. Th- this one I like better, Ezekiel 21.6. Therefore, groan, son of man, groan before them with broken heart and bitter grief. That defines the station right there. <laughs> <laughs> there's been plenty of that, too. Some might say that we're just running on here. That's it. That's right. Oh, uh, well. So it's hat day today. It's hat day. Yeah. Yeah. We we proclaimed. We made it our own. Two of us. What's today? What is today in, in whatever? Yeah, it's the third. July 13th is July broadcasting. 13th. Yeah, yeah. Tat, Premiering. It's hat day. Yeah. And uh, and with that hat, we've learned that Steve's clarity of thought and depth of insight is ratcheted cap. up like exponentially. I'm brilliant now. So, we, Steve, out. you were always brilliant. brilliant. It's just like, you know, we, we got rid of the chi block here. You know, I mean, it's, it's you're, you're flowing, baby. <laughs> you know, I, that hat fits you well. It reminds too. me of like, it's... if I look into that screen right there, I look like Tony Hawk. You do a little. Yeah, and I got nice. my van, got my bands on. Are you looking what? deep into your own? See that? Eyes. Look at that. Looks like a skater right there. Oh, big time. <laughs> big time. <laughs> Eternals is a skateboard brand, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. and Vans, uh, feel free to. Yeah, we're, we're always looking for sponsors, sponsors yeah, right? Yeah. Skate hard, of course, with an influencer like yourself. That's, that's what I do, it's big time. I feel kind of on the outs because I mean, you're, you're doing the Bill Bong shirt here again, you, you know, and uh, well, you're you representing, know. yeah, but this, is, this isn't skater shirts. vibe, you know, I mean, no, it's not. Well, that's surf, yeah, like, I, you know, surf, surf skaters. I mean, come on, that's the same thing, same tribe, okay, now, same tribe. Here's the question, it's the same thing, TNC surf. Anybody remember that game? Mm, no. Nintendo? No. Original or 64? Original. Ah, I didn't have that. Oh, it was great. All right. Skating and surfing. Was it great? And it was. <laughs> I spent a lot I mean, he's wearing a hat to this day. I mean, it had to have some kind of yeah. I spent a lot of time with that game. Could never get through the park safely. <laughs> never, never made it. You yeah. never made it. I always got attacked by some dogs or something. <laughs> And the sharks always got me when I was surfing. So, anywho, well, you know, a couple anyway. of weeks ago, we did a, a two week round at Fellowship of Faith, where we're all on staff up in McHenry, Illinois. Uh, visit us at fellowshipoffaith.org. But we did a two week round of taking questions live on Sunday morning. It's actually like kind of one of my favorite things to do of the year. I just kind of love seeing what comes up in the moment and having to kind of like respond, like, like right there on the fly. But I mean, we had such a volume of questions come in. And, you know, and even since then, just the, the, the stream that, continues to pour in so we got a deep 15 page inbox here today hopefully we can get to your question today we know we won't get to them all 
but we will in time, right? All right. Where are you exactly. taking this, Andrew? I don't know. I'm trying to take a, a shot in the dark here, and we'll see. Um, how wrong is it for me to be mad at Jesus? Uh, you know what? Thank That's you. A great question. Great question. Um, and a lot of people, uh, you know, really are, and are really terrified about the prospect. Y- you know, l- let me put it this way. Mad at Jesus or not, justified or not, I'm not even going to go there, all right? I'm just going to tell you this. He's big enough to handle it. God is big enough to handle it, and he would rather you let him know that you're mad and have that conversation with him than walk around passive-aggressively towards him, you you, you know, cold-shouldering him, hard-hearting him, rejecting him, resisting him, and uh, ignoring him otherwise, which I think is what a lot of people do. You know, it's, it's very normal to get mad at God. And uh, just just thanks be to God that he doesn't return the anger in kind and uh, meets us in that place of anger wherever it is. So, so you know what, go ahead and, and, and just have that conversation and have the argument you need to have. And uh, I think God's going to do some work there. You know what, what movie scene I actually love with this? Remember Forrest Gump? Mm-hmm. Remember when Captain Dan, mm-hmm. well, like after like 10 years of just being angry at God, you know, about losing his legs in Vietnam? You know, he's up on the boat and he's having the challenge. I mean, I, I love how they did that scene. I mean, it, it held to this day. It's like 30 years old now. Do you yeah. believe that? Yeah, that's crazy. But, uh, you know, 28 years old. But uh, it, it, it really held and it's okay. So are you guys, are you guys, speaking of being mad, are you passive aggressive mad people? Or are you just like. With God or in general? In general. Like, do you, are you, are you just that? Or are you like, I'm mad and I'm going to tell you about it? Or. Well, how do you handle it? I think I generally try to not acknowledge my emotions. So, <laughs> which is not the healthy way. To Denial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's not really passive aggressive yeah. or letting it out. Good. Kent, where are you at? Uh, who are we talking with about this? Well, let's just say <laughs> you and your wife. Uh, no, I uh, I wear my emotions on my on my arms. Um, Sometimes I have sleeves, sometimes I don't. Uh, but uh, truth is, uh, she can read me like a book after 30 years. So there's no sense in being passive aggressive. It's just like, uh, stop being an idiot. I'm, I'll be upset. Here's why I'm upset. Okay. But okay. It, probably probably early on, I was <laughs> passive aggressive. Right? Yeah. And everyone, and like, you tiptoe around a little bit. Not me. No. Not yeah. me. I'm an idiot. I go right into it like a bull. Let's go. <laughs> For better or worse, here it is. Yeah, it uh, it totally depends who we're talking about here. The closer I am to someone and the freer I feel to be myself around someone, the more overt I am with my anger. Much, uh, It doesn't really sound like a good deal for them. Uh, But no, I'm not passive aggressive. But, you know, with a lot of people, there's a certain professional air that you have to put on where maybe like you, Andrew, it's not like denying that it's there, but it's just like, I hate to say stuff it, it down, it this moment, yeah. but but it's just like control it, let it go, deal with it, take it out on the treadmill, the trail, or the punching bag later on, you know? Mm. You go put the collar on and just get mad. Yeah, yeah put the collar on and get mad. <laughs> <laughs> really drive it home. That's it. You know who I am? <laughs> He's got a clerical shirt with the sleeves off, the collar on, gets on his Harley and goes. <laughs> That's funny. The pastor of disaster. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you at, Steve? Oh boy, that depends on what it is. Like what I'm upset about. Yeah. If it's trivial, you know, sometimes I it's fun to be passive aggressive just to see if they pick up on it. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And then I'll probably come out and be like, "Can you not pick up on my passive aggressiveness?" <laughs> and then like one of my big things is the dishwasher. Okay. Right. So if the dishes are done, it's most likely with family. Sure. But- and then there's just, just visiting, what's, coming over. And what's know? her name? Invite him over. The dishes are clean in the dishwasher. They've already, they're just ready to be unloaded, but then there's dishes in the sink and someone comes and they put dishes in the sink, but I happen to notice their glance <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second here. So then I'll open the dishwasher and I'll just start crashing these things around, putting them away. So that's my passive aggressive. All right. Because it's fun. And then someone will say, geez, why are you so angry putting those dishes away? Well, because someone came by and looked at it and didn't do it. So now I fall into this. I'm curious if you guys had the same thing with like your kids, but like my kids, I think often misread my anger. Yes. And what I mean is they know when I'm angry, uh-huh. but I'm flashing the pan about trivial things. Yeah. 
like, uh, I'll come out, you know, and I'll just kind of like have a little rant or something, but I'm really not that angry. It's all surface level. The the stuff that really gets me angry is often kind of the still deep Uh water that they don't realize and don't know that it's brewing or building or compiling. That is a little like childhood trauma. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yes. And my kids will, all three of my daughters, like I don't yell. Okay. Like I'm just not a yeller, old yeller. Um, but they'll always say, geez, quit yelling at me. I'm like, well, I'm not yelling. I, I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah, but you're yelling. I, I'm not yelling. This is my voice right here. It hasn't changed at all. The volume <laughs> hasn't even gone up. <laughs> but yeah. it's in all caps somehow. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. Right. Right. Someone is bold. I tell us. I remember my <laughs> McKenna or Maya. I don't remember. They're like, well, yell once then. And Barbie's like, oh, you don't want to hear that. You know, totally on my side on this. And she's just trying to scare him a little bit. So to this day, they're just like, oh, don't get him too mad so that he yells. (laughs) Because it'll be loud. I uh, I yell with my words, not my volume. mm, Like choice of vocabulary. Yeah. Okay. I can tell when I'm angry because there's a lot more. F words and other cuss words. See, I thought it was going to go all, all like like five syllable plus words on you. You get oh, like erudite, I, I, you know. Yeah. You become a thesaurus. It, yeah, F words like fellowship of faith. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Fellowship, <laughs> of faith. Uh, fellowship of faith. If I don't, if I don't lead lead with a joke, that my my family knows I'm <laughs> pretty p. So humor flies out the window. Yeah, because I deal with you know I, I I think everybody should be happy and all the mm-hmm. time. That's just mm-hmm. who I am, and I try to make sure everybody laughs and has a good time. So in the worst moments, I will always. You know, the, wh- whatever it is, I'll always lead with a joke because that's just how I deal with it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so my if my kids, if I don't lead with a punchline, <laughs> my kids are like, "Look out!" Oh crap! So, Dad, so I, yeah, here's what here's. So how do you think God's going to deal with this? Like, same way we deal with it. Yeah, but I mean, like, so would he be passive aggressive every once in a while, or would he <laughs> just lead in with a joke? Like, <laughs> you're an idiot. Would the, yeah. would the 40 years wandering in the desert be considered passive aggressive? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going to wait till you guys figure this out. It would be passive aggressive if he didn't tell them why they were wandering 40 That's years true. in the wilderness, you know? Not yet. Oh, wait. It's a little longer. You know what? One more lap. One more but you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a fine line, though, isn't it, between like patience and passive aggressiveness? And I see that as a fault on my own side because, mm-hmm. you know, I'll try to be patient, but the reality is I'm so flawed that the anger doesn't dissipate and it stews and I still don't deal with it properly, even though being yeah. patient is still the right thing to do. Yeah. And, uh, and people like your emotion is seen. Yeah. <clears throat> so they see it. Yeah. It's just a matter of, do you think, you but you know, passive aggressiveness, I mean, just to be clear though, I think is different than a lot of this stuff because passive aggressiveness is trying to find underhanded ways to take it out on the person. And I think that's different than just trying to deal with your own anger. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's sinful too. It's very sinful. Passive aggressiveness is a for, for the passive aggressives out there. Uh, just just let us know what you think. 815 314 Text it in and you can use all caps if you, you want. You can use all caps, you can bold, you can underline, and Steve Listens. is happy to take them all yeah. and just uh, put respond. Him some, yeah. Put him some F words if you want. <laughs> that is true. I don't think in this entire string of questions we got from the last two days, no one no one cursed in there. They seem to be pretty even. And are there any about cursing? There's no aggression. There's no. People are just curious. Lame. We have a curious congregation. Let's get get up. Curious world. I mean, you know, let's, you know. That's true. Yeah. Come from a lot of places. Okay. What else do we have here? What what, what, what territory? One thing I thought of while while you were talking about, like, as people get closer to you, you you feel more comfortable showing your emotions or showing anger. I was wondering, how is that from, like, a pastor's perspective? Because I'd imagine just relating to people can be difficult if they're like members of your congregation or I don't know. It's that we seem to have yeah. this aura of like, oh, well, you're a pastor. So you're closer to God or you understand it more. So you don't deal with as much emotions or questions or any of those things. Like, I don't know. Ironically, the inside scoop. It's actually been the opposite problem for me. And that, and you know, Tina would tell you the same thing. She never thinks about herself like a pastor's wife. She's just Tina. I'm just Dave, right? I mean, I'm not ignorant of my job. I'm not uh, naive mm-hmm. to to the way people view it, but I am naive to the way that people view me. And and you know, so much of my ministry, um, especially when I was younger, it was just 
I just thought of people as friends. And it would often come out in roundabout ways that, oh no, you do view me in a different way. You view do you you do view me differently. Um and 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 that would always kind of throw me off balance a little bit because then I would kind of like realize, oh no, you don't actually want me to be myself around you. You don't want me to be a fully human human being. And I'm not talking license for sin. I'm not talking about owning your crap. I'm not talking about any of that kind of stuff. Um, that, that far more people, and I thought we were kind of beyond this, wanted the cookie cutter version and realizing that's where they were at. And then you kind of go, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be fake, but okay. I guess there is a distance in the relationship here and it's going to exist at a kind of a professional level with certain levels of professional decorum, which I'm not saying are bad either, by the way. Um, so sometimes I think in our, our quest to, to be real, you know, we use that as a license for like, you know, really you can practice some discretion in your life and learn etiquette. Um, so it, it's often been something that I've gone, had, had to kind of backtrack on rather than step into more, if you will. Interesting. Yeah, because I think most people's jobs, you have your coworkers and your your work world. And yeah. That's kind of it's there, but then you have your outside of work yeah. world and like and in this kind it, of profession, it's really enmeshed. Yeah. yeah. And and I've always kind of defaulted and I think trusting too much people. And I don't mean like getting conned or something like that. Though maybe even on those lines too. And then after the fact learning not because I got hurt, but just because, Oh, you're, you're not allowing me in that place to then kind of have to insulate off a little bit more. Yeah. Boundaries. Yeah. Depends on the person too, you know, like mm, what's your, what has your history been so far since I've known you? What, what information have you divulged to me that if that's a pattern, then what are you going to take about, me mm -hmm. and divulge to someone else. And so it's, it's really just reading the room sometimes mm -hmm. like, hmm, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm, you know what, instead of having this extra beer here where, you know, <laughs> it might not go well, <laughs> I'm probably going to say, don't do that. And it's also great having a wife that I do because she sees things that I don't sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Level of perception. Me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Yep. She'll say, all right, it's time to go. <laughs> okay, <See? honey. laughs> You know, a lot of church workers, I'm curious your guys' take on this. We'll, uh, we'll say it. It's, it's certainly been my, uh, uh, my experience. But I fear, fear, I don't like that word. I expect far more judgment from people in the church than outside the church. And I find far more problems uh, of, of these kinds with people that profess to be Christian. Mm -hmm. Than people who don't, that isn't exclusive. That that's a blanket statement that doesn't certainly apply to all people, but just as my general trend. Now, part of that could be, it's simply where I spend most of the time and where the deeper relationships happen. You talk about people who live, you know, without church culture, it's certainly out there deeper than you can imagine as well in workplaces and yeah. things. So, yeah. you know, I don't want to boohoo this, no, you, I you think, know, or demonize the church, but. Uh, I think you're right. But I also expect that as well. And the reason I, the reason that I would expect that is because it's their church too, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just our church. It's not my church. It's our church. It's our whole yeah. family. And so they've got skin in the game mm -hmm. and they want, you know, certain things or they see certain things and we all have passions about it. And so it's like, I, I get it. And if you learn this too, it's like, you know, as Christians, we're called to love each other, but a lot of people just don't like. Right. And, and that's okay. And, and, and not liking you should never translate into not loving you and treating you in love and treating you with the, the full respect and dignity and openness and kindness and patience and, and everything God calls, but just, yeah, we're not, you know, firing on the same cylinders necessarily. Yeah, here, you and, know? I, and I also think too, like the intent, like if your intent is just to be a jerk to me because you don't agree with what's happening. Yeah. Well, that's one thing. If your intent is to, Hey, you know what? I don't really, I'm not really a big fan of this, but help me try and understand why it is that you're, you're going this path. You know, I'll have it so much more respect for that than I will someone who's just gossipy and, and going behind the scenes and talking smack about certain things. It's like, 
look, if you, if you can't just come to me and tell me this stuff. And isn't that the hardest thing when you come face to face with what I can only call spiritual immaturity? Mm-hmm. And, and you realize that just because someone has gone to a church for 40 years or has a pedigree of Christian faith, yeah. as long as they can remember, it doesn't make them a mature or spiritually mature human being. And sometimes I think we just assume because of the way they dress, the way they purport, uh, hold themselves, the way they, they're involved, you know, things like that. And it's true for all people that way, but it still catches you by surprise. And patience too. Like, you know, there's certain things where, you know, you go into an environment and, and instead of just automatically just throwing up what your thoughts are and vomiting those, those thoughts and thoughts out, why don't you just sit back and, and see what unfolds here and then make a determination uh, as to how you really feel about it, you know, versus just, ah, I'm going in there. I don't like this. And this is not the way it used to be, or this, I don't like that or blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like that maturity, you know, just to, all right, step back. You may find that you, that things look very differently in a month, mm-hmm. you know, for instance. Mm-hmm. So just hold on. Yeah. Well, and I found that I tend to stereotype or take thoughts I have about like the global, the global church, if you will, mm-hmm. and then apply them to specific members of my church yeah. and be like, well, you are representing this issue that I have. So it's like, I don't know. It, it's a different, like, what's an example. I don't know that I have an example specifically, but generally kind of, yeah, I think like, here. like just dr- like frustrations with, what I view as like the church at large and why, why don't we do this? Well, whatever. Yeah, and you're, you're, pinpoint like, lightning well, this is, you're the example of that. And Even it's though like nothing to do with it, but it's just, yeah. 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 So it's easy to then have it, have a negative view of like my church, mm-hmm. of my congregation because of that. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, I'm in a, you know, a church work position where I could impact, impact that the church at large, but I'm like, ah, but all you people are causing problems. And it's like, you're okay, but down. I'm a part of that too. Like I'm causing problems right. too. You know, we had a question come in. It's kind of interesting on this line. And it's, how do we manage anger caused by factors that don't feel biblical? I love it. You know, you know, kind of uh, realizing and admitting and, and, and responding to what's going on. And, uh, you know, I'm interested in this, the way it's put, but I don't feel biblical because I think I understand the meaning here. Um, but but I, I want to challenge maybe the assumption that there's good anger and bad anger. I'm not sure that the Bible talks about good anger and bad anger the way that I think a lot of us will assume or describe. There's just anger. And Jesus says anger is dangerous. Um, Or I think you can at least codify his teaching on anger as to say that it's dangerous. It's very popular today to talk about like a righteous anger or righteous indignation. It's for the underdog. We should be outraged. You know, since when in the history of the universe has like, outrage been viewed as a virtue. I mean, outrage literally by definition is being uncontrollable in your anger. When has that ever been viewed as good in any culture, anytime? But we have so twisted, I think, the concept of anger because we feel it and we want to justify it, that so much of what's done in the name of righteous anger today is is, is little more than revenge, mm-hmm. um, you know, or spite or hate or whatever it might be. Jesus views all anger as dangerous. And so the way that we manage anger and the way that Jesus, I should say, um, in the New Testament encourages to, to encourages us to manage anger is, is, is a fearfold, um, to deal with it quickly. I, I like how Paul will put this. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it the same day. Jesus will say it this way. If you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you or that you have rather something against your brother is what he says. Oh, no, no, I'm angry. No, no, go, go leave your altar. Uh, gift at the altar, just get out of there, go make it right with your brother first, then come back and offer your gift. Can you imagine if Christians practice that one verse? If before they would come to church, they would deal with the anger that they have, and they didn't use it as an excuse to not ever go to church again, but to go, I have to deal with this by Sunday. You know, be a better world by far. And, right? that, and that is even more allowing than in the Bible, it says, "Don't go to sleep on your anger." We're <laughs> yeah. saying, like, you've got a whole we're even week. A week. We yeah, got, right. We got a whole week. Yeah, to do. You know, Jesus says day, but you know, hey, we're going to give you a week, right? Because that's <laughs> what we do, right? But, 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 no. Nah, can you imagine that? So deal with it quickly. Well, um, confront it, approach it. You, you know, and 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 do it Jesus way, not to you know land blast someone, not to rub their nose, but to be honest and just say, "I was hurt by this. I'm angry about this," or even. I don't know if I'm reading this wrong, but this is what I'm perceiving. 
And I'm really getting upset about this. And I just want to kind of clear the air with you. Quick to forgive. Um, I also love that love cult covers over a multitude of sins and we don't have to kind of be nitpicking everything. We got to check some of our own kind of sensitivities on that as well, but just some things. Yeah, Steve, I think I cut you off there. No, I just think when's the last time that you were outraged or super angry and you were thinking real clearly. Yeah. In that moment. Yeah. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. Oh, it feels clear in the moment, but (laughs) (laughs) because what is it? Anger is like blinders. I don't know if that's a phrase. No, it is. No, it is. Wait, wait to coin that one. You're going to see like, that in t-shirts, you, you man. You do get that tunnel vision where you're you do. like, whatever my perception is of, of what this person said or how they said it or what happened in, in society or the world, it's like that how I perceive it must be the only viewpoint and that is what happened and this was yeah. their intention and I'm going to lean into that and just rage. It's yeah. Like, maybe maybe like take a step back and that's, I mean, that's difficult to do. Right, Thank think- God for therapies mm-hmm. those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some of that also comes with age too mm-hmm. you know it's just as far as life experience and what you've been through and what worked and what really didn't work well, being angry is exhausting it is tiring <laughs> laziness is a solution to anger huh? <laughs> it, is. <laughs> it is laziness and apathy good. better than better than anger have a good meal no I, I find it doesn't make it go away though like i i gotta personally i've got to process it out a lot of times and often physically um i like working out um, and I don't see how people don't only from the mental health mm-hmm. aspect, because for me, it's such a channel of the pent up frustration, stress, anger, you know, processing scenarios over and over again, just run it out or punch it out on a bag or, or, you know, push up it out or lift it out or, you know, whatever it happens to be. I can't say I'm there. Well, and it takes your mind off of the anger. I, you're I like, if you're struggling I, to breathe. You're less focused on being angry about it. Something. It does have, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it does no have that doubt effect. That it that it's a it's a coping mechanism. I have no no. Yeah. I, I'm not yeah. doubting that at all. I just hate working out. Hate it. Now, give me a basketball and four or five other guys, and let's go. Let's go play some two on two. Play it out, yeah. Know? But does yeah. that lead to more anger? Sometimes? No, no, never, mm-hmm. never. Interesting. Because whatever kind of flash in the pan anger usually happens in the game. It's instantaneous. It just moves yeah, on. True. There's been maybe like two or three exceptions in my life where it's not been the case because who you're playing is just a real, yeah, I'll just leave it at that, you, yeah. you know, but, and, uh, and they're taking it deeper, but yeah, yeah. I thought that one was, uh, <laughs> so what about, is this, is this where, where God's anger, I don't know if it's anger or something like God's heart burns against, against these people or against this situation. Is that, is that, you want to know the biblical, biblical phrase, you know, you know, <laughs> the actual literal old Testament metaphor for God's anger is that his nose blasts fire or his nostrils flame or flare. And, you know, it always gets translated out, but I, I love how pictorial the, and concrete the imagery is of like original language kind of stuff. Cause you could just see it like the nose flaring and whether you see it like kind of like a dragon snorting fire or just like someone who's angry and huffing and puffing in their nose is just kind of flaring you know it's uh i, I love that image well, and it's yeah. not that's not action or reaction based which is interesting it's not like they're not using the action god takes with his anger to describe his anger that they're, they're just taking the characteristic of it yeah that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, right. All right, we're at the top of the hour. Kent, you want to give us the... Uh... Hey, you bet. You're listening to 21.6 The Net. This is questions you never thought you could ask in church previously recorded. Oh. Just threw that one in. Yes. Uh, Thank you, Kent. <laughs> of course, uh, you can check us out every Wednesday right here at 1230. Uh, PM Central, and if you have questions, feel free to text them to 815-314-0363, not just during the show, 24 hours, seven days a week, uh, and we will get to them. Of course, you can always throw them out in the comment section, even if you're catching this right now, which is pre-recorded. Uh, you can put them in there. We'll grab them uh, off of social media and address them, uh, hopefully, on our next live session. Uh, and if you're not doing anything on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., tune in right here, 216 and net. Go to fellowshipoffaith.org. Uh, check out their Facebook. Check out their YouTube. Like, subscribe, all that good stuff. And uh, you can worship with them right online if you don't feel like showing up. Or if you live on the other side of the world, you can Tune in and worship the same time, 10 a.m. on Sundays right here. Uh, yeah, back to you guys. Keep forgetting keep forgetting that we're pre-recording this because I'm like, 
where is everybody on the comments? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe the hat's too Sitting tight. This show sucks. <laughs> I know. I keep nobody's too, nobody's like, chiming in. No one's coming. I know. I keep, yeah, yeah. Stealing the glance over. So if you're watching this yeah. live and you're wondering why we're not reacting to yeah, you, yeah, yeah, right, right. Tina, Tina says, "Hey guys." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every show, most likely. <laughs> Well, do we want to? Andrew is on, right? We give a shout out to Andrew. Yeah. He Andrew, usually, hey, he usually shows up. Yeah. yeah, we're pre-recording this show, um, so and Andrew and I and about twenty other people from our church are going to the national youth gathering, which is the convergence of about sixteen to twenty thousand high school students in Houston, Texas, in July, um, for about four days of concerts and breakout sessions and speakers and worship and, and just kind of all that. You know, the, the fun, joy, trauma, and sorrow that, that doing life together, <laughs> you, you know, equates. You should write the ads for it. I should write the ads. Come down so, you for know, a time of trauma and sorrow. For about 12 years, I worked on the crisis intervention for the National Youth Gathering. And uh, that was kind of basically the job was, was just going around to trauma and sorrow. But, you know, it was amazing that for that volume of people converging on uh, a place like that, how little we were actually on call, mm. but like we were trying to create work, I think more than like responding to actual need, um, which is a good thing. Yeah. yeah I wonder you know? how different that's going to be this year. Yeah. Because of, of COVID because of the isolation, because I mean, that was three years ago, mm -hmm. meaning the last gathering mm -hmm. kids are different right now. Oh, that was 2019 too. before yep. a lot of stuff happened. Yep. So you may be overwhelmed. Is that what you're doing? Are you doing that? No, no, I'm going straight You're chaperone going, this okay. year. I just going with our uh, our own congregational group. Uh, mm -hmm. Andrew's going the same way with that. There's like four or five, I think, of us as adult chaperones and uh, about 20, 22 students, I want to say. And uh, yeah. And Andrew yeah. let the spirit move. He, he waited till the last moment to, to decide whether or not he was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got asked because another chaperone yeah. couldn't go. Yeah, I know. So then I got, I, I got filled in. Oh, I'm glad you're going. Nope. Yeah. It's the yeah, Holy Spirit. It's going to be a good trip. It wasn't the other person. You were waiting. You were praying feverishly. Show me a sign. I was. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's jump into another question here. I like this one specific to Fellowship of Faith specifically, but would FOF become a Lutheran school down the road? You know, someone texted this in, I think, at our live broadcast, you know, within our own congregation. So we're uh, we're at a church in McHenry, Illinois, which is about an hour northwest of Chicago, give or take, maybe 10, 12 miles off the Wisconsin border. And, uh, you know, to the question, would we ever consider, um, you know, opening the school someday? You know, within the Lutheran tradition, there is actually a pretty uh, a, a strong, you know, tradition, I guess you could say, of education. They've always valued it highly. Um, and, and not just at like seminary level and graduate level, but all the way down to kindergarten, the idea that it's just so important to instill, um, the truth of the faith is revealed in the universe through the God who gives it, um, into us from the time that we're young. And that taps way back into even the ancient Judaic tradition, if, if you will. Um, needless to say, I don't think so. Um, and th there's a few reasons behind that. One is there are a lot of really good Christian schools in our close vicinity. And I think one of the mistakes that the Christian church makes is we're all trying to do kind of like duplicate each other independently. Like, like we're all kind of just doing our own thing, almost like we're in competition with each other rather than if a church down the road is doing something great, build into that and let them build into you where you're thriving. We got to get out of this kind of like isolated siloed mentality that I see so many congregations in. Um, number two, the just, it's exorbitant in cost to run a private or parochial school um, in this day and age, and especially in an area where there are good schools and parents don't want to spend $11,000 a year in tuition for fifth grade education. Um, you know, just the feasibility of, of, of not only launching it, but being able to run it successfully and competitively is, I think, getting harder and harder in this world. And, you know, look, someone comes by with a, you know, a hundred million dollar, you know, endowment saying, this is a dream of mine. Uh, hey, rock on, let's figure it out. Um, but, you know, the day and age is, is gone, I think, of just having a successful Lutheran school because it's, quote, Lutheran or because people are naturally going to want to come because they assume that there's some kind of Christian environment or, or education there. I see more Lutheran schools closing their doors than opening you know, daily, they just don't manage a resource the way they need to um, for the cultural climate we're in. So again, it's not a 
uh, you know, never by all means, I love Lutheran education, but, uh, and Christian education for that matter. It's just some of the practicalities stand yeah. behind it. I would say there's two things to that. One, if there was school choice and so your your the money would follow the student. Yeah, that I would change the that game. That would change that the would game change a lot. Game. So if you're interested in that, talk to your <laughs> text your senator at eight one five three. That's right. <laughs> because there is, I mean, there is a lot of controversy right now as far as academia and public schools mm-hmm. and what's being taught mm-hmm. and whatnot. So I know I know just for me, like my daughter went to, you know, a Christian school. Um from you know kindergarten to well eighth grade, and when we moved here, just change for her. not to say that I have anything wrong with public school system, but the one that she is going to right now, I kind of do, you know. So, um, but what other option do I have right now besides a public school? And other than traveling, you know, miles away to go to which is which yeah, difficult is, in its own it's right hard, and hard to do. Yeah. So. Anyway, so there's that. But you mentioned something earlier, though, that was the the schools and, and them trying to be independent of one another and maybe not working together um, or recreating, trying to create something that was differing from the other school to set themselves apart or whatever. Don't we think that's the same with the churches around here? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's the same in most churches and most yeah. places. Yeah. Um, well, and I think even outside of that, like... Do we need 15 Starbucks in a city? I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. But, but their profit margin votes, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, absolutely. right. Not to be naive at how that impacts local churches as well, but it is kind of different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I am, I'm actually all about lots of small churches. I, I, I love big church, but small church or micro church is, is an untapped mm-hmm. overlooked powerhouse resource that has the incredible capacity to do so much good in this world. But I think that the problem, all these little, so I'm all about populating dozens and dozens and dozens of small churches in a community, but Christ never called us to be working in isolation from each other. And it doesn't mean we can't have our own flavor, our own way and our own kind of MO of doing things, but, but, but just the absolute apathy that I think often exists or even um, phobia that's there about any kind of sense of collaboration. It's, it's, I think it breaks God's heart. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I go both ways on that. Like I love the big church. I, I love seeing so many people gathered in his name, kind mm-hmm. of similar to the national youth gathering mm-hmm. yeah. where it's like, Oh wow. You get to see all of these believers joining together. And so to me, like I would rather see in that, let's just say this area, let's say we were to build a, a facility that, that was 3000 people. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's all of <laughs> almost all of the Lutheran churches around here combined. Mm-hmm. You know, we we're, we're not very populated. Um, think about the resources that it would, that it would, all those resources combined would have a great impact. Um, but at the same time too, like you can still have small church in a big church. Mm-hmm. It's just, you're collectively getting together for corporate worship, you know? So any church can be, you can have your pockets, whether it's a 200 person church or a 3000 person church, 200 people, you're not going to be friends with everybody. There's just no way that you're mm-hmm. going to do know that. So it's like you, those importance of small groups or house gatherings or like the table dinners or all these things that are fellowship events or sports or whatever. It's like, yeah, I, I think those can all be part of the church, whether or not it's a big church or a small church. So anyway. So let's do that. Let's combine all the LCMS <laughs> churches in the Northern Illinois district under one roof. For a oh, banger. that sounds like nightmare. For a banger. <laughs> maybe it would be maybe a banger. Once every three years. <laughs> once every three years. Schedule. Yeah, three days. Once every three years, right? <laughs> well, I think one, what was it? something about schools. Oh, with, uh, I think I think the like private or Christian schooling is also going just down in its popularity in society because society is not sure their perceptions of, of what churches are and what Christians teach mm-hmm. isn't what they want. <laughs> they, they don't want their kids in that environment. Whereas I think it used to be like, Oh, this is a safer place. This is where they're going to learn to be nice to people. They're not going to teach whatever, whatever, whatever. And now the societal view at large of church is flipped. It's opposite of that of, those are the bigoted people. Those are the people that are lying to you. Those are the people that are this. And it's like that, 
that happened pretty quick. That switch happened. It'd be interesting quickly. to see. I'm sure there's studies done on this, but how the perception of not church, but religious school plays out that way, especially at the younger age, you know, elementary school, maybe middle school, things like that, because preschools have no problem populating ever. No. I mean, you know, so my apologies to the one that's struggling out there, but generally speaking, um, you do see that there still seems to be this young parent idea of like, Oh, get them in this nurturing environment. Um, or at least a disconcern for whatever's being taught theologically. It just, I like it because they do a good program. Um, I don't know, I'm convinced it's tuition money. Mm-hmm. You know, you hit kindergarten and boom, seven grand, please. Yep. And that's cheap. Yep. Yeah. On top of property taxes. Yeah. All right. What else do we have? There will inevitably be more people, many people who live their whole lives without being introduced to Christianity due to location, family upbringing, etc. How can God expect them to come to Christ? <laughs> yeah. Um, this is one of the reasons why the New Testament puts such an emphasis and, and impetus on go and tell. Um, and that is the biblical answer to it. You know, we can uh, hypothesize about other ways that God might reach people or get to people. But the reality is the entire Christian movement from its beginning is evangelistic. It is good news that needs to be shared because if you love people or care about people and there's something that can help people or bring hope to people, um, an encouragement to people, uh, you share that with them. And so when you read the storyline in the book of Acts or the New Testament trajectory or even Jesus himself, they never saw that as a barrier. Uh, you know, you know, it says a couple of things. One, don't use it as an excuse. Um, what are you doing to share the good news? Would be Jesus, I think, direct answer to you. Um, and to tell people winsomely about what God did for them. Um, and number two, I think it also indicates, uh, maybe more subtly or more tacitly, is that this isn't problematic for God. You know, God's not sitting there with this idea of going, it doesn't seem to be panic-driven for God. The way it turns to be panic-driven for for Christians are, we got to get out there and tell people right away. Otherwise, oh no, they're going to burn in hell. They're going to be lost forever. Well, okay. I, I don't want to underestimate an urgency to some of those lines of thinking there, but that's not the spirit by which they're going out. They're going out with the joy of what God is doing in their life. Not with this desperate fear that we got to save them back before God strikes them down because they haven't heard. You know, Romans chapter one is a fascinating um, uh, passage of the Bible that seems to speak seems to speak against what I would call the the innocent person who never heard that gets unjustly judged. I mean, Romans one has no toleration for that line of thought. Going, ah, wait a minute. You know, we're setting up a a false hypothetical here. Um, so look, God is big, God is vast, and and, and God has the ability and, and does work indiscriminately in all kinds of amazing ways to bring the knowledge of his truth to people wherever they are. The good news as a Christian is we believe that in Christ we have greater clarity about who God is, and we get to bring a more vivid image to what's already kind of sensed or apparent out there in the landscape. Yeah, great question. Um, as Christians, we can share the hope of Christ's, Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection to non-believers. But how does one explain to a Holocaust survivor or from a tyrannical I don't know what that to a tyrannical is. despot like Idi Amin or <laughs> yeah. Kim Sung or you know Pol Pot or Putin is on here, you know. Wait, yeah. So where was God during that horrible or ordeal or situation? And now through the nightmares, why they had to suffer and witness such evil? So kind of why does let why does God let evil people do bad things? Yeah, that seems yeah, to be that, that's what it's getting to. And yeah. and, and, and I want to kind of address the way that it's worded here. Because it says, how can we share the hope of Christ to non-believer? As Christians, we can share the hope, but how does one explain to a Holocaust survivor um, or someone from a tyrannical despot, you you know, where it was? I'm curious if this is based in an actual conversation with a Holocaust survivor or someone who survived terrible, um, you know, a tyrannical despot, or if it's a purely hypothetical conjuration, if you will, that someone who has grown up in a privileged upper middle class American society is using as an excuse yeah. for belief in God. Because I think the answer to that question, while still a valid question, how you answer the question can be very different depending on who it is. If I'm talking to an actual Holocaust survivor 
versus someone who has never lived in a household that's made less than six figures in their life and has gone to, you know, good schools and had a happy family life at home and had a car when they were six. You know, it's going to be a very different (laughs) way of approaching the subject. Um, So I think it starts there. It's fascinating when you read the stories of those who have suffered deeply. And you can read the stories, the firsthand accounts of people who did survive the Holocaust, but also people who suffered under, you know, the communist regime of Stalin or, or whatever flavor it might have been of the month or year. Um, and many others around the world. It, it, isn't it striking that there's two equal and opposite reactions to suffering evil? Some people come to greater faith in God and some people turn in anger or disillusionment from God. Evil does not seem to be a defining moment by which it determines whether someone comes to God or not. It seems to be determined by something else. And I almost think that the hypothetical conversation has to start there rather than with the problem of evil. Because if evil were really a problem, I think we would see universally or near universally people who experience evil to the proportion that they experience evil turning from God. And that is not what you witness So what I would say is just talk to the people, talk to the people on both sides, talk to the people who have turned from God and talk to the people who have turned towards God and hear it from the people who have actually suffered evil and take it out of the hypothetical debate. And I think we'll learn a lot if we read their writings and listen to what they have to say. Yeah, I saw something recently. I think it was a Tony Robbins movie or documentary or TV episode or something. But he's like a motivational. Yeah, yeah, we guy. know. Yeah, and if you don't know Tony Robbins, just quick Google and boom, you're there. Netflix. I am not your guru. Yeah, there, that's yeah. what it was called. Yep, and it was it was really good. But in there, in in that movie, multiple times it talks about how people have had hardships in their life or difficulties in their life or t- horrible situations or any of mm-hmm. those things that that creates the person that they that they become. Absolutely. So in that moment, they're probably not like. I'm going to praise God right now because of this thing. But down the road, as they grow through that, as they learn to process that, as they learn to help other people through similar things, that's when in general, I feel like you start to see the, the curse as a blessing in a way. Cause that, and that's like, his whole thing is like, I would not be doing what I'm doing right now. Had I not have had a horrible childhood and, you know, terrible parents and abusive people in my life because I would never have a heart for people who have been through that. So it's like interesting mm-hmm. how almost time seems to give you a little bit more perspective on that. Like I'm guessing there probably weren't people in the middle of the Holocaust who came to faith in that moment, but maybe after the fact that was something that happened. And obviously that's hypothetical, but, or maybe they did. And, and maybe, so what's, what's their avenue of, of, okay. Look at Idi Amin was mentioned in that, or maybe mm-hmm. you just mentioned mm-hmm. that. No, no, he's so, actually in the question, yeah. So you look at the country of Uganda, where Idi Amin was ruler, dictator, and how brutal he was. Look at that country. I mean, it's a primarily a Christian country. Why would that be? Well, because probably they were looking for anybody to save them. <laughs> and so when you, like, what hope do they have? They they have nothing materially, materialistically. They have no, no food, no water, you know, Rarely, they don't have any hope in their government. There's no hope in any jobs, and so yeah, it's like, absolute where corruption. Do you go everything, for yeah, hope? yeah. Well, the only place you can go, you know, and so even to this day, still now it's even uh, well. And you saw that predominantly with with African slave trade, mm-hmm. you know, in the United States as well. The deep spiritual yeah. Christian life that yeah. came out of the slave movement, precisely because God is a God of the oppressed, mm-hmm. the poor, and the broken, yeah. and to be able to find that level of hope and truth and future in that has led many. I think the problem that I've seen many Christians get into though, is that because there certainly is, um, as the Bible will put it, God will work all things for the good of those who love him. And, you know, suffering produces character and character produces perseverance and perseverance produces hope. And we can speculate on what good kind of comes out of evil. But sometimes what I find happens is that Christians will then start calling evil good. Or, or soft peddling evil, like, well, the Holocaust was used for good by God. Well, well, he he could even take out of the worst thing, redemption and good, but it doesn't make it less good. evil. In right. fact, God would even call it more evil than I think what we would perceive it to be evil, and that's pretty evil, yeah. or any of these other number of situations. And so 
within this, it's never to undermine evil. If anyone calls evil, evil, it's God. And one of the most compelling reasons for me to even believe in God at the theoretical level is because it allows me to call evil, evil, and good, good. Because if you do not have something transcendent and you do not have God, evil is nothing more than I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I look at something like the Holocaust and that goes beyond just, well, that's not my personal preference. I don't think it should be that way. No, there's something fundamentally wrong with it. It's evil and God allows it to be evil because he transcends my own, you know, preference or just the happenstance of the universe. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's a tough, tough question. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I didn't know who... Adi Amin was. So now I know. Yeah. So, and given your connection too with, you know, you you know, with Uganda. Yeah. Like three minutes on Google and your life's going to be changed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, So did you see this one that popped in? Where in the Bible does it say that we have free will? I was just going to ask that. And I think a couple of weeks ago, we kind of ended, ended the podcast on talking about that idea a little bit of, do you have free will? Do you not? What about this situation, that type of thing? So, yeah, I kind of like how it says, like, where does it actually say that or does it? I do invite the challenge on this and please text it in. Um, But I actually don't believe it does. Um, Rather, it is more implicit to the storyline of the Bible and the theology of the Bible. But it has to be nuanced as well, because there are a lot of theologians, including people like Martin Luther, John Calvin, that would argue, well, well, one of Luther's most famous works is actually called On the Bondage of the Will, meaning the will is not free, the will is enslaved. And he wrote it against Erasmus, who was, well, wrote a work called, you know, On Free Will. Um, and, and, and so I think the free will argument gets played a little too freely and loosely by a lot of Christians. I think it's implicitly used to undergird a lot of arguments in Christianity too much. And what I'd encourage you to do is to think of of, of world history in four movements as it relates to the freedom of a human will. There is creation before the fall of humanity. There is creation, or let me talk humanity. There's humanity before the fall into sin. There's humanity after the fall into sin, but before the coming of Christ. There's humanity after the coming of Christ and what I would call the Christ event with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and so on. And there's humanity as it exists or will exist when Christ comes again. And the relative freedom of the will in each of those phases or dispensations, if I can use that language, is actually very different. Um, And and I think we tend to think about it as being something more universal. There there is a very definitive slavery of our will and and, and, uh, motive and and, and freedom to choose that that I think humanity is going, has has experienced and will continue to exist and uh, experience until Christ comes again. Um, You know, ways that this has been uh, analogized, it's like an addict, for example, you can say that an alcoholic or a drug addict has free will, and they do to a certain degree. Yet, from a very different perspective, they're very enslaved to something. And, and, and we wouldn't look at their will as being completely free. They are controlled, dictated, and driven by something. And I don't want to get into how much, and I don't think we should look at this binarily like in black or white terms, But I think all of our wills are like that in some way. Maybe I'm not addicted to alcohol, but all of our wills are enslaved to some degree, which is all the more reason why we need the Holy Spirit in our life who brings us to faith, to repentance, to hope, to obedience, and does the transforming work in our life that we can never choose on our own. So, yeah, great question. And uh, one that needs more explanation than the quick, just, Oh, well, we all have free will. So kind of answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard throw out. That, like you can't have like freedom can't exist without rules. Like a, a complete more in terms of like a society, like America is 
you know, we, especially like with 4th of, 4th of July recently, it's like, oh, we're celebrating freedom and the freedom in America. But you're not free to do anything. There are still rules that your freedom exists within um, that allows it to flourish, if you will. So, yeah, that free will isn't devoid of any restrictions, if you will. No, no, no. Just like, you know, and even if you're in a pre-legal state, take Adam and Eve. And I know you can argue against the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but uh, okay, let's not go there because I think their life was bigger than one rule. Um, You can live in a lawless state and still be free, apparently, to choose certain things or think in certain ways, regardless if there's any law dictating it. I mean, so I think it's even more internal than something put upon you as a, you better not do that or else, you know? Yeah. That was my dad. (laughs) (laughs) You better not do this or else. Yeah. 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 Or remember the classic line, quit crying before I give you something to cry about. (laughs) Brought you into this world. I can take you out. Yeah. It was good. There's a lot of I had rules. A lot of parents threatening their children. Didn't follow them very <laughs> often, moments. but I had rules. <laughs> but again, let's let's kind of resituate what freedom of the will means as something other than God is lawgiver. Mm-hmm. That's just one piece of of the entire expression of reality and humanity and life with God. Um, why the tendency to always run to God as the one who gives rules and am I free to break it or obey? It's it just I don't think God thinks that way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, fundamentally, how are you free to live? And being free to live doesn't mean I can do everything I want. I physically can't do a lot of things. I can't fly, right? I can't raise myself from the dead. I can't, uh, you know, these are weird examples, but lots of things I can't do, not because it's being imposed on me. It's just the limitations of who I am. Making me, making me think of a lot of stuff. Andrew's pondering. All right, all right. We got <laughs> more coming back next it, time. It's not. You, what's the old saying? It's it's not if you win or lose. It's how you play the game. Was a quote from the person who always lost. Right. So <laughs> yeah. uh, we're given free will. Is probably created by the sinner. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> oh, hey, hey. We got free all, will. All too aware of uh, that. That's free will. correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got about three minutes, Andrew. Yeah, all right. What do we got? Should we do that one? I, yeah, let's, let's do jump it. on this one. Let's do it. Let's you get a three-minute answer to this. Why is God so different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament? I don't think he is. Um, I really don't. And the more that I read the Old Testament, the more I'm convinced of that. I think a lot of us, and I've certainly been guilty of this myself, um, selectively read the Old Testament, or even worse, don't read the Old Testament, but remember or think we know some stories from the Old Testament and project that on the entire Old Testament when in reality it's like 1% of the storyline. Give me Old Testament wrath any day over New Testament wrath. Old Testament wrath is some kind of judgment from God like the fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah or something like that, let's say. New Testament judgment from the mouth of Jesus who everyone says is about love is hell. Give me the Old Testament wrath any day. Um, Jesus is very clear that he is the God of the Old Testament. And he is the clearest perception and embodiment of who that God is. And so if you want to know who the God of the Old Testament is, you got to look to Jesus. It's this this weird testamental divide we make is artificial and arbitrary. Um, It's not how God looks at the universe. It's not how God thinks of himself. We just, for editing's sake, made two parts to the book, you know? Um, no, it's one book. It's one story. One revelation, same guy. I think um, you can look at it too, like the Old Testament is generally God the Father. I think not, that's arguable. Yeah, yeah, arguable. I would say in in the beginning, in totality, God created the heavens a, and the earth. of Jesus, whereas I think generally people think of the New Testament, they're like, oh, it's the story of Jesus. Well, sure, and it so is the story of Jesus, at, yeah. God, yeah. the son of the son of God, God as the son. So it's a different person of God. So you will see different aspects and different attributes, but it doesn't mean that God has changed. In some You're way. certainly saying the second person of the Trinity in the new Testament blazingly clear. Yes. But does that imply that he was not present? No, not at all. In fact, John one, one, the gospel of 
Jesus begins with in the beginning, and I'll just substitute his name and where it says word. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus is life, and that life is the light of men. I mean, you know, so when it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that would include Jesus. Yeah. Verse 2. And the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep. There's your third person of the Trinity. It's all over the place. It's true. Yeah. So why did he make the earth flat? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Maybe. Because it's, it's hard on my soul, man. <laughs> it's new term, you know? It can fit into the storybooks. <laughs> you have to be able to draw the whole thing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I think we hit the gamut for today. Um, again, we want to thank you guys for tuning in. Appreciate the questions that you're asking. Keep on asking. You can text in anytime to 815-314-0363. We will get to your questions as soon as we can. Um, we go live every Wednesday, 1230 PM central time, but catch us. If you missed us in past episodes, pop on Spotify, pop on Apple, whatever your podcast provider happens to be, just search questions. You never thought you can ask in church or join us at fellowshipoffaith.org. Go to the FOF Plus page. You can catch us there or even catch our Sunday services live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Hey, God bless you guys, and we'll catch you next time. Take care.